Hello, everyone. This is Brian Saber. I'm here with Jerry Panis again. Hello, Jerry. Hello, Brian. I'm delighted to be back with The Master. I'm in the middle of reading a few more of Jerry's books. Always fascinated. I'm working on mega gifts at the moment, and then I'm going to be on to power questions. Today, we thought we'd take a different format. We've had some sessions where Jerry talked at length about a specific topic. We've had some sessions where we had a bit of a dialogue. And today I'm going to shoot Jerry some quick questions and look for some short answers. And hopefully I won't have too many follow-up questions for each. How does that sound, Jerry? Sounds good. Let's go. Okay. So we get asked this question all the time. Can you take more than two people to a meeting? Absolutely. You know, that's been an old hoary tale in fundraisers, you can't take more than two people to a meeting. You can take as many as you need that will help make a call successful. Take three, take four, take the marching band. But everybody who goes must have a role so that somebody isn't sitting in a corner the whole meeting. And this happens often that the executive director and the development director go together and the CEO does all the talking, people wonder, who was that other person at the meeting? Mm. So just one follow-up question. Can you recall the most people you've ever had in a meeting? Ah, Alex Spanis told me about the meeting that he had where the president came, the chairman of the board, the treasurer of the university, and there was one other person. And I said, did that seem like too many? He said, no, I was so impressed that these important people would take time to see me. Mm. Great. Okay, next, the four whys for why people give. I know you talk about that a lot. Yeah, when you go to solicit someone... The donor, the probable donor, is thinking, why should I give to this institution? Why this project? Why now? And why me? And you better have the answer to those four questions. Why the institution? Why the project? Why now? Why me? So that would be high on the list of preparation to oh, answer yeah, those four sure. questions for Oh, yourself. you better prepare for that. Sure. That's part of just getting ready for strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often say I have two other whys. Well, actually one, one big one. Why meet, right? Oh. Which is a little different from why give, sure. right? Because some people will give without meeting, not necessarily their best gift. But I always want to answer why meet? Why are they meeting? Why will they meet? Yeah. It's fair to say, by the way, typically, eye to eye, knee to knee, you're going to get more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think very few people give their largest gift if it's not Correct. through yeah. that personal interaction. So we talked a little bit about preparation. What do you think the most important skills for a fundraiser are? And I, I know we've covered this before. And sometimes when I ask myself, it changes a little bit from day to day because there are a number of them. But today, what would you say are the three or four? I want a person who is head over heels dedicated to the institution. I want them burning inside for the institution. Integrity comes at the very highest. Ability to listen 
and willingness to work hard. I spoke to um, Ken and Williams, founder of Holiday Inn, and I said, Ken, how do you explain your great success? He said, you know, I didn't go to college. I said, I know. He said, I went to a little country high school. They invited me to speak at commencement, and they wanted me to talk about my success. And I said to them, I only want you to work a half a day every day. And I don't care whether it's the first 12 hours or the <laughs> second 12 hours. <laughs> and it is hard work. Definitely yeah. fundraising is hard work. Well, you mentioned listening. I know I've mentioned this before, but it will always ring in my ear your quote that no one has ever listened themselves out of a gift. Correct. Right? Yes, that's so important. And I share that all the time with other fundraisers. So next would be, what should be the three elements of every ask? It must be relevant, must have emotional, dramatic appeal, and the most important is there has to be a sense of urgency. If it's not urgent that they give now, if they can postpone the gift, then why is the gift important? We must have the funds now. That's what you have to convey. I want to pick up on the emotional, the emotional versus the rational. Some might say also, you know, stories versus statistics. If you could touch on that whole issue. Sure. Statistics generally do not make the sale. Unless you're an accountant, you want to, you want to see all the statistics. And if you're making a call, you're starting to give a statistic. And they say, well, what's your database for that? You know you're in trouble. <laughs> but telling the story, people give to change lives and save lives. And the story about how your institution, I like to be able to say, no other organization serves people the way we do. Because if it isn't unique, then they could give a hundred different places. So I want them to feel that we touch lives in a way that no one else does. I tend to agree that stories are still what sell. Statistics tell, stories sell. We've heard that quote. But we hear so much about outcomes measurements and the need for outcomes measurements and the challenges that some organizations have deriving them. What do you think of that? There's been so much push. Last year, we had 157,000 who went through our emergency room. How do you feel about that versus, let me tell you about Mary, who came into our emergency room. We had a team working on her, the doctors, the nurses, and we thought we were going to lose Mary. Now, what's more important, the 157,000 or losing Mary? Do you think um, there's any difference between, we spent a lot of time talking about significant gifts. That's what we've both spent much of our career in, where we're cultivating people and meeting with them individually and figuring yeah. them out. So do you think there's any difference here on the outcomes measurements front with that versus direct mail and crowdfunding and 
phonathoning and all the yeah. other methods for fundraising? Well, I'm a great believer in cultivation. Um, but the problem is in too many of the shops that I visit, people are waiting to make the call until they've cultivated longer. But some people are ready to give right now. And I had one just recently, a gift of $6 million from a person who was solicited for the first time. And so when is a person ready? When the right person, that's your membership that are listening today, when the right person calls on the right donor at the right time for the right amount. Just judge when that could be. When is the right time? And that right time... It could be any time. Yes. Yes, and we've talked about how some of the largest gifts come quickly and some of the mid-sized gifts Correct. can take a long sure. period of time. I think I told you, we own the title to Moose Management. Yes. And that's the title most of your people will know. But I still believe you don't have to wait two or three years. Mm -hmm. And that stories are still at the heart of it. Even for people who are analytic and ask for facts that... Exactly right. ...the story. So how much should you ask for? Ah, tough question. The E, if it's an exploratory visit where I'm meeting you for the first time... Somewhere along the way, I'm going to say, Brian, what's the most fulfilling gift you've ever made? Really? How much was it for? Five million dollars. Oh, tell me, is that a large gift for you? And I had one that was interesting. For a university, I was asking for 50 million dollars. That's a large gift. And there was a reason I was asking instead of the president. There was a good reason. And um, as we talked, I noticed that he was a member of the Smithsonian. And I said, uh, don't I remember that the Smithsonian has just had a large campaign? He said, they have. I said, did you make a gift to that? He said, I did. I said, how much did you give? He said, I gave $5 million. Oh, I said, is that a large gift for you? He said, and he said it just this way, it's the largest gift I've ever made in my life. Well, what happened to my $50 million? You know? What did you do? Um, well, this was an exploratory meeting. It was my first meeting first with meeting. this guy. Imagine how audacious asking for $50 million on your first visit. But there was a good reason for that also. Does this mean you did ask for that still in that first meeting? I said, we have three gifts of $25 million each. We hope you will consider a gift of $50 million. Your $50 million will ensure the success of the campaign. I asked that, and I got a response. Then I asked again, got a response. I asked a third time, a different way each time, and got a response. And when I went back to the university, they wanted to know 
what did he say? And I told him the story. And they said, well, what do you think? I think we'll never get a gift beyond $5 million. So that seems to be his limit. But I think we should ask it each year. And we're in our third year. We've gotten three gifts now of $5 million each. We've asked them each year for $5 million. And the problem is he's in his late 80s. <laughs> and we pray for his good health. Well, I'm fascinated. I don't generally in an exploratory meeting, I don't ask, but I think I'm conservative about that. Unless I know I can't come back. If it's someone I'm not going to be able to get the attention of, I might have to present it that way. Oh, I could tell you so many stories, though. Yes. You're probably on the right track. Just be alert that there are those who are ready to give now. In many shops, I find, ready, aim, 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 and they never fire. Right, right. The gift you definitely won't get is the one you didn't ask for. Exactly. We do know that. Do you always ask for an exact amount? Yes. I must tell you, when I first started, I asked always ask for a range because somehow I couldn't get it out. I just couldn't say it. Brian, I would like you to consider a gift of $200,000. Couldn't get it out. So I would say, Brian, we'd like you to make a gift of a hundred to 250000 Now the donor's thinking, but I said it, you know, I gave an amount. The donor is thinking, he doesn't know anything about me. He's throwing something up on the wall and hoping it sticks. And uh, worse than that, they'll choose the lower amount. Why wouldn't they? It's not a game that you're playing. This is serious business. And you're touching a lot of lives. And so you want to be as precise as you can be. I've had a few experiences like this where, have you ever had someone be indignant that you asked for too much? What they consider to be too much, like, how dare you? Yeah. Well, you know, Brian, we used to have a saying in the business, you can't ask for too much, you only compliment a person. But that's baloney. Think about what is the right amount to ask for. We talked a little bit about this now. Another formula I use as part of this is now don't ask me why this works. The person's age times annual income times 0.01. It gives you an indication of what they can give over a three-year period if there's philanthropic intent. Age times annual income Times 0.01. Okay. Do you use formulas a lot? No. I'm careful about this. I think they guide you. They get you started. But you need to look at, you need to know your person. And you mustn't look at the person as if they're an ATM machine. They're a real live person. And I often start, what's the most fulfilling gift you've ever made? Sometimes I ask. What is the largest gift you've ever made? Was it satisfying to you? Was it fulfilling? I had one, I remember in San Antonio, 
toughest, toughest gift. I asked about his largest gifts, and he told me. The most fulfilling, however, was a gift very small, but it meant so much to him because of what it accomplished. So that didn't give me much guidance. But typically, what's the most fulfilling? How much was it for? Is that a typical gift? And all of a sudden, I'm getting an idea of range. Mm -hmm. And how often do you go back to ask? Oh, if first of all, you cannot leave a meeting without either getting a gift or a date for a new meeting. And that reminds me of something else I'm going to say in a minute. No, I continue going back until... I might say, in order to set up the appointment that I am not going to ask for a gift on this visit. But then when I'm ready to leave, if it didn't seem appropriate for me to ask, but often it does, but if it doesn't, when I'm ready to leave, I say, Brian, I mentioned when I made the appointment that I wasn't going to ask for a gift, but I want to come back. And when I do, I'm going to ask for a gift. And be ready, because it's a lot. And we laugh about that. And a person very often will say, come on, you must have had something in mind. Well, sure, but I told you I wasn't going to ask today. Ah, come on, I'm ready to listen. And now you're ready to ask on that first visit. But it reminds me, getting the appointment it's more difficult than getting a gift. And I don't know why we don't spend more time at seminars. There isn't a book about it. How do you get the appointment? You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that for a number of reasons. One, I certainly agree that we need to do more on that. I wanted to come back to a quote of yours because you've often said that if you get a meeting, you're 85% of the way towards the gift. Right. And Kent Dove, when he did research ages ago, said that on average, 75% of all in-person meetings result in a gift. I don't have more data on that. Mm. I am very explicit in setting up the meeting, very explicit, that if it's for me to ask for a gift, I say that. My percentage is very, very high. Now, I get rejected for meetings because of that. But once I get the meeting, I'm almost guaranteed sure, some gift. Absolutely, yes. So my question is, where did your 85% come from? In other words, from all the meetings you've had, absolutely. 85% of all those meetings have resulted yeah, it in was maybe 84 points. I don't know. But it was 85%. But even where you aren't explicit about why you want to see them, do you send a letter in advance? about setting up the appointment well it's interesting as i teach it i say if you know your donor well and you know how your donor likes to communicate you try and communicate that way if not you communicate in the way that works best for you in a way you're going to be most comfortable and most effective so for some people they're going to pick up the phone for others they're going to email for others they're going to write a letter first and then follow up with a phone call and i give people the latitude to do it in the way they think is going to be most effective all around Right, But always, I tend to give people a written heads up all the time. I don't like to just pick up the phone. Let's take a moment on this because it's so important. Mm -hmm. We know if you get the visit, the chances of getting the gift 
because somebody isn't going to give you a visit and say, oh, I wonder why he's coming. <laughs> right, right. So I like sending a letter. And if it can come from the chairman of the board or a volunteer that they know, dear Brian, you perhaps know that I've been a member of ABC board for the last five years. We're beginning a project that I think will be very exciting to you. And then you go on with the letter. I've asked Jerry to call to set up a time when we can all visit. I would consider this so special. I want you to know how much I would appreciate it. And that sets up the visit. If a volunteer friend or somebody appear or whatever knows them, the letter opens the door. I would never suggest just plain cold calls. So the letter goes out, you get the visit, and in the letter I always indicate I'm not going to ask you for a gift on this visit. And as I mentioned earlier, before I leave, I will say I want to come back and talk with you about a gift. So let's say you've had that exploratory meeting and now you are coming back to ask for a gift. Do you still send a letter first saying, I'm going to follow up with a phone call to see if we can set a time when I can come ask for a gift? First of all, if I haven't asked for a gift on that visit, I follow that visit the same day or the next with a letter. That's what your mother taught you to do, thanking them for their time and indicating that you did mention that we can get together another time. Then you explain, I'll be calling you or, or try to arrange it at that time. Before I leave, I most often, now that I think about it, will say, when would you like me to come back? A couple weeks over, I would do that. There's always the question, by the way, that reminds me. When a person says, oh, now you're at the point where you're asking for a gift. Brian, I would like you to consider a gift of $50,000. Brian says, wow, that's something I need to think over. Do they need to think it over? Because some people find it very difficult to say no one-on-one. -on -one. Or is it a maybe on its way to a no, or a maybe on its way to a yes? And before I leave, I need to find that out. Having someone say, I need to think it over. Now, if they said, my God, what are you smoking? Now you know, now you know it's too much. Right. But they may, if they laugh while they say it, then you know you're still all right. If they say, no, I don't think so. I need to ask my four magic questions. My questions are, is it the institution? Is it the project? Is it the amount? Or is it the timing? So I probably would say something like, Brian, as we were talking, the university means a great deal to you. And that can be abusive husbands, you know, the organization for... It could be any amount, any amount. I do believe that as we were talking, 
You're really interested in ABC. That's what I thought. Um, and the project we're talking about seem to be very important to you. So it's not the university. The person says, yes, the project is very important to me. Now it's only the amount or the timing. Well, knowing what you've done for other organizations, I thought $50,000 was the right amount to ask for. Was that the right amount? You say, well, I think, I think it's the right amount, but I just don't have it right now. So it's not the amount. It's just the timing. So is it the institution, the project, the amount, or the timing? So moving on to another question from that, though we could, we could dive in very deep on that. Um, I wanted to ask you about mission statements versus vision statements. Oh, interesting. I think the term vision statement is more exciting than mission statement, but they're different. A vision statement describes where you want to be in the future. The mission statement describes how you're going to get there and your purpose. I had an interesting thing happen. For our seminars that we do, I wanted to have Peter Drucker come to one of our seminars and speak to the group. He had just finished a book on nonprofit boards, and I had the audacity to call him on the phone, because I didn't know him, he didn't know me, and ask him if he would come to one of our seminars. And no, we don't offer an honorarium, but we will pay your expenses to get. That was a seminar in San Francisco. So it was his coming from Claremont, California to San Francisco. Not a big deal. And an overnight stay. Oh, and he wanted to know if we would pick up the expenses for his wife. And we did, of course. But imagine calling Peter Drucker, and he came. And he talked about the importance of the mission statement and that at every meeting, people ought to be reminded of your mission. And if they meet in the same room every meeting, somewhere on the wall, there ought to be a very readable plaque of the mission. It ought to be in front of them all the time. And what I like to do where you identify the name of the board member on a uh, triangle card. On one side, I like the person's name. On the other, facing them, I like to have the mission statement. So every decision that's made is made with the mission statement in mind. And Drucker says it ought to be brief enough to fit on a T-shirt, but it ought to be looked at on a regular basis to see if it's still relevant. I had one recently where the chairman of the board said, we have been in business 106 years and we've never changed our mission statement in any of those years. And I thought, oh my, the world has changed in 106 years. Is this still relevant? 
It turned out it wasn't. And um, but because he thought it was relevant, that's why they were standing still. So I would expose this mission statement regularly. At board meetings, I would always raise the question, does it help meet our mission? So the mission statement is very important. Great. Well, Jerry, thank you for answering all those questions in one session. We could have a singular session on each one of those, and some of them maybe we will. But thanks for being here with me today. My pleasure.